Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 135 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. Our guest this week is Sylvie Leotong. Sylvie was diagnosed with breast cancer in May of 2018, and that was the impetus for her starting her blog, Inside the Mind of a Cancer Patient. And you can find Sylvie's blog at sylvieleoton.com, and that's spelled S-Y-L-V-I-E-L-E-O-T-I-N.com. Links to this as well as her social media profiles. Uh, you can find her on Twitter and Instagram at SLeoton. Uh, all those links can be found in the show notes for today's episode at wehavecancershow.com forward slash 135. Sylvie's blog is real. And if you are touched by cancer in any way, her blog is a must follow. I can't encourage it enough that you subscribe to her blog. And in our conversation, we talked about the realities, the hardships, the challenges of being a cancer patient. And she's pretty real. She talks about some of the things that she experienced while going through treatment at her cancer center that she was quite vocal about pointing out to the folks that part of her care team as areas that she saw could be better for those of us who are going through cancer. We've all experienced it. You know, we do what we do every day and sometimes we need someone to, you know, to use the overused you know, saying to help us see the forest from the trees. She does that in her blog and and she does that in this interview. So join me now for my conversation with Sylvie Leoton. Sylvie, welcome to We Have Cancer. I'm thrilled that we were connected through a mutual acquaintance and I'm glad to have you on the show. And where I wanted to start with my question was as I was reading through your bio, I don't I have not come across that many people like yourself with such a diverse background. You know, you started in the arts as a ballerina, you got into computer science and marketing, you know, such a an eclectic blend of backgrounds and experiences and I'm I'm wondering how has that varied background served you in terms of the work you're doing? you know, in, in trying to change some of the perceptions out there about cancer and including how you've approached, uh, you know, your survivorship. How has, you know, those varied experience affected and, and impacted how you kind of deal with this whole topic? You're not starting with a small question, are you? <laughs> I love your question. Uh, I love your question. Yeah. I think I'm going to first answer the part about how it affected my cancer journey and the work. Sure. So mm -hmm. I, I was a professional ballerina before I studied science and engineering. 
and I danced for many years. And when I got diagnosed with, uh, with cancer, I feel that my dance discipline has actually helped me a lot in setting goals and doing what I say I'm going to do and perseverance and, mm-hmm. you know, all the things I learned very young as a, as a dancer has, has been very helpful. I'm also a mindfulness practitioner and I spend a lot of time meditating. And when I got diagnosed with cancer, I increased my daily meditation practice. Actually, I found that, you know, as everybody, we get more anxious and I had a very hard time sleeping. So for the past year, since I've been diagnosed with cancer, I'm waking up at 1am or so, or 2am, and I get out of bed and I sit on the cushion and I meditate for half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half until I get settled and, and then go back to sleep and I'm able to sleep. And getting sleep has been really, really useful for me to go through this. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, to have to deal with the stress of of managing the effects of a disease and not being able to rest your body, that had to be extremely challenging for you. Uh, So you actually wake up in the middle of the night, meditate, and then go back to bed. Yes, and I have to tell you that that second part is the best. (laughs) The second, when you go back to bed? Yes. You get the the really good sleep, right? (laughs) I wake up and I'm really calm. My brain, it, it just feels, Oh, I had a great night's sleep. That's incredible. It's so worth you, it. were, you were meditating and practicing mindfulness prior to being diagnosed? Yes. So I do meditate every morning and every evening. So when I wake up, I meditate again <laughs> for half an hour. And before I go to bed, I meditate. But I that was enough before I got cancer. But when I got cancer, I found that I couldn't sleep through the whole night without being completely anxious about so many things. And um, so I started to meditate in the middle of the night and this has been really, really helpful. And, you know, my dance discipline of being able to actually get out of bed has been (laughs) helpful in making me (laughs) meditate like this. In your blog, Sylvia, you talk about how you're seeking to integrate the mind, body, and heart to live a more meaningful life. And clearly, I think it's obvious that, you know, being mindful and practicing meditation is a big part of that. But what do you, what do you mean when you say a more meaningful life? What, what does that mean? So I think that the bulk of my life, I've really lived in my head. And I studied math and physics and computer science and robotics and just kind of like a very heady person. And every time I had a problem, I would think my way through it. I would just sit down and think and think and think harder. (laughs) I can solve this. And when I discovered mindfulness, I rediscovered because I had that knowledge when I was young as a dancer, I rediscovered the intelligence of my body to give me signal, to know what it needs, to know answers that my mind doesn't know. And so I'm listening, I'm making the space through meditation to listen to my body and my feelings 
And so that is very meaningful to me because when you do this, I feel I live more fully. I can then have a mind. I see a lot more of my human experience as I'm living. And I can appreciate things that I would not even notice before, you know. Um, oh, that, that makes total sense. Yes. Through my, my cancer experience, I, I feel that I was really awake through the treatment and I could see how my body was suffering and that there were several layers of suffering. Some were physical, some were emotional, some were avoidable, some were not avoidable. But I could, I could see those layers kind of entangle my experience. And this has been helpful to me in reducing the suffering that I was able to reduce. And now in writing, in explaining to others the unseen suffering of cancer patients. It was really interesting as I read some of your writing. Some, there was a, so many things that not only resonated with me, Sylvie, uh, as a cancer patient myself, but things that I kind of paused and I went, hmm, that's interesting. And really the first one that kind of caught my attention is there's a common theme as I interview patients and survivors like us, and virtually all of them talk about that the experience has left them more mindful, more compassionate. And you talked in one of your blog posts about being more compassionate to the pain of others, but also more compassionate to your own pain. Yes. And I was like, wow, what did you mean by that? <laughs> okay. You know, I have to go to go back to being raised as a ballerina. I started at five year old and really was in a, in a very competitive school to become a professional dancer. And when you do an art or any other activity, for me, it happens to be ballet, but the relationship I had to my body was completely not compassionate. It was really, you can handle more pain, you know, <laughs> and just kind of beating myself up for not being able to do this and, and torturing myself to get my legs higher. I had my legs up, you know, between doors for an hour and it was just very painful. And I was like, well, the clock is not finished. You have to just stay like this. And so I was really causing myself a lot of pain, reasoning through, you know, my head just focused on the, on the outcome. Luckily, I didn't get injured through this process, but that mentality kind of stayed with me in pushing myself very hard for anything I'm doing without checking in on, is my body tired? Is my, you know, and all of those things. And so when I got cancer and it's just like really completely devastating, I, I couldn't add the pain <laughs> that I was imposing on myself on top of the pain that was already existing in the cancer journey. Mm. And I realized I needed help to do that. And I took mindful self-compassion class that's uh, eight weeks long. And I took a compassion cultivation training class that's also eight weeks long. Like I just was really 
understanding and realizing that I hadn't been compassionate to myself. And I read a lot of research that are really showing that, you know, self-compassion is the best way to achieve goals. Certainly going through cancer and learning to be able to be kind to myself has really made my experience better. That's fascinating. Yes. I mean, I used to tell myself, you know, get on with a program. <laughs> right. Sure, sure. You know, and now I'm, I'm like, oh, sweetie, that's hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe you need to take a nap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I did that a couple hours ago. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it is, you know, the cancer experience is so difficult that we don't need to layer more difficulty and more challenges on on top of it ourselves. Exactly. And we do without thinking about it. So it's, you have to kind of become conscious, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> and that's harder for some people than others. You know, those of us who are very driven and goal focused, that's a hard adjustment to make sometimes. Oh, uh, believe me, this definitely. If I didn't take this training and learn those tools, I. I don't think I could do it. Well, you know, credit to you for realizing that, you know, you need you needed to change and do something different and you found the resources to help you help you get there. So I, I give you a lot of credit for that. Thank you, Lee. <laughs> the the theme that resonated with me the most in your writing, Sylvie, was your talking about how society views survivors and their expectations of us. And when I read that, I was just, I was like, yes, yes, you know, <laughs> because, because we all deal with it. And what I struggle with, and I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts is most of the time, what people say to us is with good intention. Yes. And it, it comes with a good, from a good place, but, right? But <laughs> there's that, you know, there's that big but. And, and my, my father says, said to me as recently as last night, you're my hero. And I know that came from love and from a good place, but you know what? I don't want to be somebody's hero, right? <laughs> and I know, you know, you're kind of, you're chuckling because you, you understand. Yes. But, but, but talk about, you know, that, that struggle of what society expects of us as survivors and what, you know, and what life really, what the real life of a survivor is. Interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot as I wrote this article a couple of weeks ago and, and this month is National uh, Cancer Survivor Month. And it's interesting because at first I was really not facing it. <laughs> I avoided to discuss, you know, this topic, like I'm kind of coming out now and, and sharing those, those things, but I knew I wanted to bring it up, but I think I wasn't ready. I found an article that I wrote maybe eight months ago <laughs> and the title was, um, survivorship. It's not what you think. And I'm reading the article and maybe at some point I will publish it or change it. And it was, you know, I just had finished treatment and I was really devastated. And I was talking about the inner scorch landscape 
of my heart and my lungs and you know and i didn't i didn't post this article because i thought it was going to be too negative and scare people off and then i'm gonna have to deal with this and i don't have the strength so i wrote it for myself and you know that helped me understand where i was at the time and now more time i've gone through and i felt you know this is actually this month is my one year uh, survivorship and I felt I needed to write a post. I decided I'm going to write a post. I looked at that old post and I said, no, this is not the post I want to write. I think I want to write something that people are going to read and <laughs> not avoid reading because it's too painful. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So I still didn't say everything I wanted to say in that post. One thing that bothers me is and I've seen it on social media when I share my post and people have retweeted it or reposted it or shared it. And it's like, congratulations on being cancer free and very well meant, but being a survivor and I, I've been wanting to post this on Facebook and I haven't had the guts yet, but I want to put this big, you know, green banner saying being a survivor is doesn't mean being cancer free and doesn't mean being over cancer and doesn't mean being recovered from cancer. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, the definition by the American Cancer Society, which is they actually strictly speaking called survivors, someone who has been diagnosed with cancer. So you can really be in treatment and be a survivor. Absolutely. Right. Like you. So mm -hmm. it's I had a lunch with a friend about this last week when I wrote my post and, you know, he was saying, well, maybe survivor is not the right world. You need to make up another world. <laughs> Some people have really, it's kind of like in the, in the mind, right? You associate survivor between it's in the past, it's done, right? You've moved forward, you're well. But that's not the case. It's not the case. Sure. I've started in the past couple of weeks when people have, you know, congratulated me on being a survivor and saying, oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I mean, I want to honor all the challenges I've overcome to get to this date but to this milestone but i also share i'm not done with the side effects <laughs> right it's my life is still limited and and it's not just society that has this view but the medical community too in what way in you know oftentimes oh you know you're treated because i i've experienced this more times than i can count yes oh you know get through this treatment, you know, you'll be all set, you'll be done, those kinds yes. of things. Yes. And every single time for me, that's not been the case. So now, you know, the most recent time, I appreciated when they said it's very treatable. I appreciated when they said, you know, that surgery will definitely be an option. But that's all I'm accepting at this point. I'm not ringing any bells to celebrate or yes. or letting anybody, even if it's a doctor, tell me, oh, get through this and you should be fine because yes. I've been dealing with, you know, this has been eight years of this. And yeah. so I think even the medical, even the medical community is somewhat guilty of this perception of, all right, I've treated you. I see no more disease in your scans or whatever. So you should be fine. And no, we're we're not totally fine. And we may never be 
totally fine. So even the medical community, you know, do you see this too, that even the medical community is guilty of this? Yes, I can. I can. Now that you explained, I can see that, you know, like suddenly your last after your treatment, you know, you you see your oncology team a few times and then I'm like, OK, come see me in a year or come see me in six months or, you know, everything kind of like drops. But I had just unremitting, really disabling <laughs> side effects that just came piling up one after the other. And I'm sure you as well. And actually last, was it yesterday? Time flies. I think I wrote a mail to my my oncologist, my radiation oncologist, because I had so many side effects from radiation that she should really be aware of. Like, so I said, you know, I'd like to come and talk to you about this because it's, <laughs> it's really difficult. And, you know, I, she was not expecting to see me again. She saw me in January. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yes, I, I can see, you know, I have a slide also in the presentation that kind of shows what the cancer journey is from a medical standpoint, you know, diagnosis, treatment, survivorship. And survivorship is the handoff. Like you go to the survival program groups, right? It's victory. And, you know, as you said, when I was told that I was a survivor a year ago, I didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't want to have a party. A friend offered, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I was just like, in bed right. <laughs> so it, it took me a year to actually call myself a survivor and you know still it's not over be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear talk more about the work that you're doing i, I know you know, not only have you been writing but you've also been speaking and you talked about your the project you're working on. You called it the Human Patient Project. T tell our listeners a little bit about some of the work that you've been doing. Yes. So before I got diagnosed with cancer, I have 20 years experience in, in Silicon Valley, and uh, I've been working mostly in, in innovation and understanding customer customer needs and building products that meets those those needs. And I've always been particularly fascinated with the human mind and our motivations and motives and what why we do what we do and psychology if you want and so even before cancer i was really specializing in helping people better understand the unseen needs of customers so when i went through cancer treatment i'm seeing wow this hospital and every hospital is filled with unseen suffering and unmet needs. And if some of those were addressed, that would make a big difference in the patient experience. So I started to tell my oncologist and um, she was very receptive about it. And I was like, wow, this is the first time I'm hearing this. Tell me more. And so I started to go back to writing. I've been blogging for a long time, but I started to write about my, my cancer journey and my insights on, on unseen needs of cancer patients. And as 
as I've been doing more writing, as very often the case for me is um, the more I'm writing, the more I, I understand things I was not understanding and doing more research and all of those things. And I realized that I could help a lot more than this, <laughs> a lot more than just writing an article. And so I, I wrote a detailed paper about radiation treatment, which was published in a medical journal in Journal of Patient Experience, in which I, I described my experience, but I also gave recommendation to oncology providers on what they could do to meet those unmet needs and, and improve the radiation experience. Being very cautious, you know, to say that this is the first step, there is a lot more to do than this. But this would already be an improvement. So the hospital that I'm getting uh, treatment with is, is implementing a lot of those suggestions. And the article has been downloaded a lot. So hopefully some, you know, other organizations, medical organizations are, are looking into it as well. Can you give us an example of some of the recommendations, Sylvie? Sure. So I mentioned some very simple things in the article, as I said, you know, very basic, but you are going into radiation treatment and the room is freezing cold <laughs> and you have to put a robe and everyone else is dressed and they are too hot. So because they are too hot, <laughs> you have to be freezing cold. So an example of providing robes and warm blankets and socks and slippers and adjusting the room temperature, you know, would be nice. The waiting room for radiation, as you've probably seen, maybe it's different in your hospital, but the room was dreadful where I got treatment. So it was just really depressing and fluorescent lights, you know, just nothing on the walls. And so I suggested that creating kind of like a spa-like waiting room would be a good idea. Hmm before radiation to be less nervous or before chemo treatment. I did mention the lack of empathy. <laughs> I said that empathy training for the staff would be very useful. But those are small things. What shocked me even more in, in treatment was really the treatment room itself. I mean, I thought it looked like a morgue. The first day I had chills. <laughs> yeah, I remember you talking about, you know, the different the molds all lined up against the wall. And I experienced the same thing when I went through some radiation. Yes. And it, it's it's you're already walking into a situation that you're unsure of, you've not experienced, and they're not doing anything to to kind of soothe or calm you, are they? No, I mean, you know, I walk in the first time, I remember so the radiation molds, like of the body of the patient, they were like all lined up on hangers, like along like the side of the walk. And I, I'm, I'm walking down, I'm like, it really looks like a morgue of body hanging in rows. And my first thought was, which one of us is going to die? Mm. That's not really the best state of mind to be before you're getting treatment. No, of course. Sure. And then I walk like five steps further and I see this machine that looks like a guillotine mm. and I keep going and, you know, it just gets worse and worse. And it took me really a week to get of doing it every day to kind of like get acclimated and to even ask questions and say, you know, what is this machine there that looks so scary? 
<laughs> and you know, then once they explained it, I could relax. But I really felt that this was unsettling to see this for the first time as you're getting radiation. So exploring an idea of, I won't give the details on, on the show, but using technology to help prepare cancer patients and reduce the anxiety of treatment. Yeah. Do you think a lot of the anxiety comes from just the, the unknown, not knowing what's going to happen to you, not knowing what the machines look like, not knowing. No, there is, there is no, there is more like even, even knowing the machine, as I said, it took a week to get adjusted to it after seeing <laughs> it for the first time. Right. Sure. And so what helped was building a human relationship with the technicians asking for soothing music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I said, you know, could you play some Susan music instead of like, they had like some disco or something when I came in, it was just like, oh my God, like it must have been someone's favorite music, you know? And so I asked for Susan music and then they did that. And then I said, oh, do you have classical music? Ah. Then I said, do you have classical piano? <laughs> and then finally they had, they were playing Chopin Nocturne for me during my treatment. Nice. So, that was good. <laughs> there's, there's a lot for everybody to learn, isn't there? Yes. And they were very cooperative, actually, you know, when I shared what I needed, they were happy to do it because they could see that I was more relaxed and that made it easier for them too. Sure. Sure. What are your long-term goals with the work that you're doing? What are, what are some of the things you have planned that you're able to share with us coming up down the road? Okay. I'm just starting. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I'm just getting started. I'm writing, I'm writing a blog now, and I really want to start writing my book in the next couple months. So that's one thing that I really want to start. I'm going to be giving talks. My first talk next month is going to be at Bay Area Cancer connections in, in Palo Alto, California, and, and I will give it in other places. But that talk is actually very related to the conversation that we're having today and we're, at, we're having at the beginning of the conversation about kind of, you know, the gap between cancer patient and cancer outsiders and, and what we can do to help mend that gap. Because really, a lot of the time, people want to help, but they really don't know what to say. Or they say something that hurts us, right? Like you were describing. And I feel that if I can create, I think you mentioned that in one of your podcasts, it's kind of like, okay, we can complain about that or we can do something about that. We can go and educate people. And so I would like to bring to light the human experience, the internal experience of, of cancer patients, both in daily life and in medical situations. So this talk is going to focus on daily life and I'm writing a post about it right now. But I want to create a safe environment where people don't have to feel defensive, like we are not here to blame. We're really here to try to make it better for everybody. Because, you know, when you get hurt as a cancer patient, when someone makes a remark, very often they realize that they hurt you and it doesn't feel good for them either. So can we do something about it? 
So that's, that's one thing. Uh, and I would like to also give lectures in, in uh, hospitals and, and, you know, where cancer treatment is, is, is done. So I'm, I'm treated at Stanford Healthcare and I will give a talk at Stanford Healthcare to both medical and staff in the cancer center. And yes, I, I would love to do it in, in, in other places. And maybe one day you'll start a podcast. <laughs> God, that's a lot of work. Some people say writing is a lot of work. So it, I guess it all depends on your perspective. Oh yeah. It's, I, I, I love, I love, I love to write. So I, I don't see it as, as, yeah, I think uh, the, the other big thing that I'm looking at is I'm exploring the use of technology to improve the cancer patient experience. And I think this is going to end up being the bulk of thing, the bulk of what I'm focusing on. Well, when you're ready to share the details of that, well, maybe we'll have you come back on the show and talk more about that. that I'd love that to. That really exciting. And for our listeners, I'm going to post in our site at wehavecancershow.com the link to Sylvie's blog where you can find her on social media. She's very active on social media so that people can follow you, connect with you, learn more about the, the great work that you're doing. And I really appreciate, Sylvie, you taking the time to to talk about a little bit about your story and the work that you're doing. You're, you're doing something that's very meaningful and really will positively impact the experience for, for many people who are classified as survivors, right? So, so thank you for the great work that you're doing. And, and I really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, thank you, Lee. You're such a delightful person to speak to. I listen to several of your shows and, you know, you just have this gift to make people comfortable. That's wonderful. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and you've helped me. For our listeners, Sylvia has been great because she's reached out to me several times over the last few me few weeks with some tips and suggestions on social media and and ways ways we could be more effective reaching our audience. So thank you for that. I appreciate you know your input and your support of the work that I'm doing and I think we can start a mutual admiration society between us. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much Lee. It was really such a pleasure speaking with you. I I really appreciate this opportunity to speak on your show and look forward to connecting with listeners online. <laughs> Terrific. Well, uh, again, thank you for everything. Be well. Thank you. As we approach the end of the year, there are still several Get Your Ear and Gear events taking place across the country where the proceeds go to support the Colon Cancer Coalition. So let me go through that list. Coming up on Saturday, October 12th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is the Get Your Ear and Gear 5K Run Walk taking place at Rotary Performance Pavilion. Coming up on Sunday, October 20th in New York City at Riverside Park is their Get Your Ear and Gear 5K Run Walk and Kids Fun Run. Coming up on November the 9th is the Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run Walk taking place in Orange County, California at Fountain Valley at Miles Square Regional Park. 
and on November 16th for all our friends out in Houston, Texas, wrapping up the year with Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run Walks. This one is taking place at Baylor College of Medicine, the McNair campus, on November 16th. Again, that's in Houston, Texas. And that is your Get Your Rear and Gear events coming up over the next several weeks. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.